0: We've been looking at our four core values during the four weeks of January. Our core values are the gospel, humility, unity, and generosity, which is G-hug. That's how I remember it. And I hope to lock that in for you, if not to just annoy you and make you you just smile at the cute way we do things. Um, And uh, so we've taken these four uh, values and we've matched them to the four chapters of Colossians. Um, chapter one is very overtly about the gospel and about the news about Jesus, who he is. Chapter two is very much about humility and what it means to grow in humility. Chapter three is very much about the hard, detailed work of unity. Uh, you know, I, I don't like preaching sermons that feel so basically legalistic, like here are the things that we must do together um, and that's how it felt last week because it's a it's a list of of sins to stay away from and and virtues to pursue and and that's what chapter three is and they're all about pursuing unity together and then we get to chapter four and uh, you know I, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that it was all about generosity um, so you know we may be trying to get water from a rock here um, but but. <laughs> I want to make this claim that these four values, they are broad enough in terms of the life with Christ that you can sort of shine a light with, you know, with this lens on any passage of scripture and learn something about these four different ideas because they are so Broad, So we're going to perhaps reach a little bit, and I'm not trying to teach bad um, biblical interpretation practices here or anything like that. But if we are looking for something about generosity, I want to make the claim today that there's a lot we end up seeing. Consider what we believe about generosity in this place. You might think I'm about to preach a sermon about tithes and offerings, about how you, you know, perhaps could give a little bit more financially to the church. If that's a result of this sermon, that'd be wonderful, but that's not what I'm aiming for, okay? Um, This is not about financial generosity. Every Sunday, we pray our theology of generosity. We think generosity is holistic. It involves our whole person we ask God to make us generous the way he is generous not just in our finances but we say in our relationships our time our possessions our money we think generosity is is all of how we relate with one another and with people around us that's our understanding of generosity when we say generosity is a core value of this church, we mean to be a people who, are, who freely give all that we have freely received with joy. That's what we mean to be. And when we think of generosity like that, Colossians chapter 4 and the end of chapter 3 is actually a robust picture of generosity. So I, I want to explain it in four parts. Generosity starts at home. Generosity is fueled in prayer. Generosity seasons our relationships with outsiders. And generosity is cultivated in the Christian community. It starts at home. It's fueled in prayer. It seasons our relationships with outsiders. And it's cultivated. In the christian community so generosity starts at home obviously the um you know the very beginning of this was a call to you know um whatever we do in word or do you do it all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father i wanted to include that because i think that is meant to inform that list of guidance to um these three different sets of people Um, notice that the there were there were six types of people listed wives and husbands children and fathers slaves and masters um so they come in pairs they're the groups that are connected with each other and and it can feel um foreign it can feel uh traditional it, you know especially when we get to the stuff about slaves and masters it can feel a little bit scandalous what's what's going on here why isn't paul saying masters set your slaves free you know we'll, we'll get to that. Generosity starts at home. the, the This type of um, section in an ancient letter is called a household code. And it was fairly common for a philosopher or a teacher or a religious leader to give a household code, a way that people should relate with one another inside of this particular way of thinking about the world. So Paul's household code isn't that radical. It's not that strange, um, except for a few things, and we will highlight that. I want you to notice that Paul addresses both the people in power and the people who are underneath their power, who are subservient, culturally speaking, and he addresses the weaker party first. And that is strange. That's scandalous. That he would point talk to those groups first he addresses the less powerful before the powerful there are probably many reasons for this but the most likely is that the less powerful group is the majority of the church in colossa in fact the less powerful group is the majority of the church anywhere the roman empire this news about Jesus is spreading, and it's not spreading to the rich and powerful and comfortable first. It's spreading to the others. It's spreading to those who feel that they don't have any dignity, they don't have any rights, they don't have any freedom. And so, this church in Colossa, this gathering of people, is likely majority of those who are wives and children and slaves. And they have experienced something in the Christian community as they spend time with each other and do all of the virtues that we talked about last week, showing mercy and kindness and grace and forgiveness and forbearance to one another. As they are doing those things with one another, they are experiencing a type of dignity and freedom that is like eye-opening. Like, oh my gosh, people can treat me like this? And Paul is making an assumption here that a lot of the people in that community are going home to households that do not recognize one another with the same dignity. He's making an assumption that they've they've come together in Christ, they've experienced freedom, and now the first place that they bring that is back to their household. And so whether they're wives or husbands, whether they're uh, children or parents, whether they're slaves or masters, they have to enter back into a world that thinks of people very differently. And Paul says, you can bring the freedom you've experienced in Christ into that relationship, but you're going to do it in a sneaky way because the way you're going to do it is going to generously show what the grace of Christ is like. These people who have a God-given, Christ-restored agency get to follow the way of Jesus and enter back into a broken world, enter back in humbly serving in a broken world to show what God is like. That's what we pray in our generosity prayer. We want to show the world what he is like. We want to treat others as God has treated us what does this mean for generosity generosity can be expressed no matter where you are in terms of power privilege and possessions that's what it means generosity means treating others no matter who they are as you would want to be treated it means treating others as god has treated us i can tell you having been in some respects a A boss, you know, of a small staff for many years and working with many great people. The excellent work that has been done by many staff in this church currently and in in years past um, has been an act of generosity to me to this church it's been far beyond you know the the way that i have treated them people have served to, to reflect what god had graciously given to them they've used their gifts they've brought their hearts and their passions to it it's been an act of generosity not not the result of some brilliant leadership on my part i think we all have opportunity to do that so those are the people in the, sort of the first half of each pair. What about the people in the second half of each pair? Husbands, fathers, and masters. Well, Paul is doing something sneaky here, too. He's telling each of them, you, though this society tells you that you have carte blanche, just total power in your realm and can treat people however you want, you are accountable. You are slaves of the one true master. And therefore, you better consider his response to the way you exercise authority. God's exercise of authority is gracious and generous. And surely the few Colossian believers who also held positions of cultural authority would be expected to wield their power the way God wields his. Humbly graciously generously let let me give you an example the first one of these is husbands and wives and and it sounds like wives get a real specific thing like you have to submit to your husband and everything and then it sounds like husbands just have sort of a, a generic thing like oh yeah and husbands love your wives you know but um that's because the english is not helpful there uh you know the the word love in English, it's just so broad. It can mean something really big and wonderful. And it can also mean that you prefer hot dogs over hamburgers, right? Like we, we use it so broadly. But um, what Paul is talking about here is, is a type of love that is not about desire. It's not about friendship and it's not about preference. He's using the word for love that he uses for how Jesus loves us. It's the word agape. It's the word that means to sacrifice for. When he uses this word to husbands, he is saying, hey, he's, first he says, wives, all right, you need to you know, uh, submit to your husbands. Husbands, you must lay down your lives for your wives. Lay down your lives for them. This is completely counter- to the world that the Colossians have left behind to follow Jesus. Remember last week there was this whole list of, of uh, sexual ideas that he, Paul was saying, you need to step away from those, put those things to death. You know, we think of our culture as pretty charged in that category, as, you know, pretty corrupt and pretty wild. And, and it's, it's nothing compared to the Roman Empire. You guys, it's not, we, we live in a world that still is heavily influenced by Judeo-Christian values. There's still a, a sense of, you know, it, it, it's fading, but a sense of modesty and appropriateness in certain categories, when and where and how to talk about certain things. And that simply did not exist in Colossae. And so the way people would be used at home, whether you were a wife or a child or a slave, could involve um, sexual use. And these people would be used just at the whim of the person in authority. And Paul is saying, not so for you Christians who are in authority. You give self-sacrificing love. It appears that he has the most to say to the slaves. Um, I want to highlight just a couple things about this because we, you know, we get uncomfortable with talk about slavery. Like, it makes the Bible seem bad, <laughs> right? Well, if Paul didn't mention slaves, he'd be missing more than fifty percent of the people who are reading this letter. Like, oh, what about us? What are we supposed to do? You know, we think. We think of a certain type of incredibly abusive, uh, uh, racially oriented slavery. We think of you know American and European slavery, the African slave trade, the incredible human rights abuses that go with that. And I'm not saying that that you know the Roman Empire slavery was that much better than that. I, I'm saying it's we need to think of it almost in a completely different category. Um, there weren't necessarily a whole bunch of companies that you would go out and work for. If you needed to make ends meet, you ended up being hired into somebody's household. You had to take loans. Not There was no bank to take a loan from. You had to take loans from the rich guy down the street. And as soon as you did that, guess what you were? You were his slave. And you had to work in his household. And generally, that ended up becoming a lifelong thing because it was a corrupt system that hooked people in forever and kept the people in power and power and the others not. And so most people needed to work for the few wealthy and powerful people. This is the majority of people in the Roman Empire. You know, most of the, more than half the people you meet are slaves if you he hear the talk of somebody who's a, a a doctor, doctors were slaves usually in people's households. You know, very different culturally than what we think about now. So he says all this stuff about slaves and work for the Lord and all this. Do, do you know who's listening in the Christian community? Those few people who are the masters. They're listening to Paul say to the slaves, "Hey, you have one true master." You have one true master. It's not the person who owns the house that you work in. They're getting a correction while the slaves are getting instruction. That's interesting. And the last thing that Paul says to slaves is, Hey, work as unto the Lord, and and everyone will be judged for what they do, and there are no exceptions. Uh, Speaking of which, masters... Did you notice that that's a he builds, builds, builds up to? And there are no exceptions. Masters, treat your slaves in a certain way. Here's what you should do. So what does this have to do with generosity? Often we tell ourselves that we will be generous when we've got some wiggle room. Do you ever daydream about how much you'd give away if you won the lottery? Me neither. Um, But if Jesus empowers women, children, and slaves to represent his generosity, if he empowers those people who are in authority to show his generosity by the way that they treat those people who are under their authority, that means no one is exempt from generosity. No one. We don't let the few who are comfortable... Show generosity. Everyone gets to show it. Generosity starts at home. Second, generosity is fueled in prayer. The way we pray affects our generosity. Generosity comes out of our relationship with God. Our experience of His grace is what allows us to be generous. We always say, freely you have received, freely give. Well, until you understand that first half, freely I have received, I have access to an an infinite amount of provision. Until I understand that, I am not able ever to be free to give. I've got to squirrel something away from myself until I understand it. So, So how could I grow in my understanding of freely I have received? Well, the letter to the colossians it, well you know we're finding these four core values in it there's I, I think that there's a main idea that paul had in the letter to the colossians because in every whenever something gets challenging like how how would we actually walk this out how would we live this out how how could we practice all these virtues and put away with all these vices and 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 grow in humility and how how could we do all of these things he always comes back to the same idea this this cheat code that unlocks all of the rest. It's gratitude. He comes back to it again and again. Thanksgiving, thankfulness, being thankful is the key to embodying the gospel, the key to growing in humility, the key to true unity. Am am I thankful for the people I've been put together with in Christ? It's the key to that. It's here listed as the way to keep alert in prayer. If you're struggling in prayer, I often struggle in prayer. Being thankful is the way to keep alert in prayer. Surely we can't be generous without a sense of the grace given to us. The the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright he summarizes the point of all of Colossians like this. He says, Paul is praying for the church to grow in faith, wisdom, and understanding and be able to draw on the power of Jesus in living and working to his glory. In particular, Paul longs that they would develop and enrich the practice of giving thanks. That's what, that seems to be what he's, at every turn, what he's coming back to. And I think throughout Colossians, and if you look beyond, the good news is thankfulness can be practiced. It's a muscle that we can strengthen. It's something we can grow in. It can be recited. You can sit down with a blank sheet of paper and make a list. You can start with the most basic thing if you are breathing air. You can start with that. I've heard some people take a breath through a stuffy nose just now but you still got some air in (laughs) all right you can be grateful for that if not for your health and your family if not your family your church if not your church creation itself if not creation you can be grateful for the simple facts of the gospel i'll never forget praying with a woman named dr iris dr iris is an indian ministry ministry leader and she has spent her Lifetime serving uh, uh, remote towns and villages in the state of Orissa, which is in um, in India. Iris is an Indian woman. She lives. She grew up in a different part of India in great uh, comfort, in great um, wealth. As an Indian, she, you know, she went to medical school. She she was kind of on the on the upper end of society. But she and her husband many many years ago, many decades ago felt called to go and and reach these people and so um aaron and i just after we got married we went and spent some time in her home and it was wonderful and she would have we had these wonderful times of morning prayer every day and and there's one day that she prayed she and she started lord thank you that out of the millions and millions of people you chose us and I've thought about that prayer again over and over. It's see, You could take it like, wow, what about all those millions of people that he hasn't chosen? But then I think about Iris's life, and I think about how she, you know, India, the now the most populous nation on earth i mean it's so crowded everywhere i talk about remote villages don't think of just a few people run it's like packed the streets are packed everywhere you go and and what she sees everywhere she goes is people who are living in all sorts of darkness people who are are worshiping the the hindu pantheon of gods and treating people with utter contempt and and there's all sorts of economic situations and all sorts of uh, um, ethnic difficulties and and my goodness she lives amongst that and and she's not like you know holding on to the fact that she has found jesus and she has this treasure she is sacrificing her life to share it with other people but it all starts for her with thank you that for some reason you chose us out of millions and millions of people for her that was the beginning of her work it was her gratitude there. Thanksgiving can be practiced in surprising circumstances. Gosh, I found this quote this week. And I don't know if you've heard of the, this commentator, Matthew Henry. His commentaries are free. Um, you know, you, if you Google Matthew Henry commentaries, you know, he's an 18th century um, Bible scholar, a pastor, and uh, wrote commentaries on all, all, every book of the Bible. Um, And uh, he was robbed. Matthew Henry was robbed. And after being robbed, this was found in his diary. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not someone else. How do you get there? I mean, to live with that sort of, like, he has just been robbed and he's finding something to be thankful for in the burglary. Guys, generosity implies a hope-powered sacrifice. It means we can give of ourselves because we believe that our needs are taken care of. I'm able to give generously when I realized I have received generously. If I trust that my, that my inheritance is taken care of, that, that God knows and will meet my needs, I do not need to squirrel away every last nickel to protect myself. If I deeply, truly trust that my needs are met, then the resources I have access to can be available to you and to my neighbors and to others. All right, that's the second point. Uh, the third and fourth go more quickly I promise Um, third generosity seasons our connection with outsiders the way that we conduct ourselves to outsiders could be categorized as generosity the the instruct the instructions about outsiders are are simple and at the end of this letter he says conduct yourselves with wisdom making the most of the opportunities and let your speech be gracious seasoned with salt so you know how to answer wisdom and speech wisdom and speech opportunities and answers so what is wisdom in paul's conception is it is it being shrewd with outsiders you know is it knowing how to work the angles and get ahead is that what he means when he's talking about wisdom i think we need his reflection on wisdom from another letter that he wrote uh, probably around the same time as Colossians, maybe a couple years before. This is 1 Corinthians. He says this in that letter. He says, The message about, cro- about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. You see, wisdom for Paul has been redefined. Christ-like wisdom is sacrificing for the sake of others. That's the call. So when he's saying, let your conduct with outsiders be guided by wisdom, that's what he's talking about. If Paul's instructions to households were were guidance for those who may have been zealous for their newfound freedom in Christ, his instructions for us in the public sphere is also guidance for how to use the grace that's been given to us. The word gracious here it's not a generic word for being kind. He's not saying, oh, just be gracious. That means be nice. No, he's saying, let the grace that you've experienced flow through you to outsiders. That's the salt, the thing that triggers people's true hunger and thirst for the life that is really life. I mean, I'm thinking of, of in the life of Paul, just, just a little bit before this, Paul's experience with a Philippian jailer. Paul had been imprisoned for proclaiming Christ, and they said he started a riot um, and, and was ruining the economy, so they locked him up. and uh, And he's there in prison, and they're singing hymns in the night, and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and the earthquake is such that Paul's you know cell doors are opened and his chains fall off and the the jailer thinks that his slaves have gone free and so the jailer knowing that his sentence will be a painful death decides to just do the job himself and take his own life and paul says stop we're still in here we're still in here that's an interaction that is seasoned with salt and gracious that's generosity Paul is giving away the freedom that he was freely given. He stays. And this man then asks a question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do? You've got something that I don't have. All right, finally, generosity is cultivated in the body of Christ. Okay, the, the, the end of this letter was a lot of names, right? A lot of Greek sounding names and uh, a lot of greetings. Hey, so-and-so says, hi, you know, I bring greetings from these guys who are here with me. That's where we learn for sure Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's probably in a prison in Ephesus. And, you know, people are, some of the Christians are taking care of him in Ephesus. But he's learned about this church in Colossae. He's so excited about them. And so he's, he's sending the letter to them. And, and one simple way to understand Paul's letter writing ministry is this bringing people together across wide social barriers in the name and worship of the crucified Messiah is messy. It's messy. These barriers are bigger and stranger than anything we really know in this culture, especially in, in Littleton, which we're all kind of the same. <laughs> we're, pretty, we're pretty similar to each other here. I know you may feel weird, but... You're pretty similar to the other people in the room uh, for the most part. This is very different than that. These are people who are worlds, universes apart. All, when, when people come to know Jesus, the reason Paul to write so many letters and, to, and give them so many instructions about how to treat one another is because they are trying to share life together when it was culturally inappropriate for them to do so before. When before they abused and took advantage of each other and now they're coming together around one table they're sharing meals and sharing life and sharing possessions and taking care of each other and it is messy and, and with all that we said about unity last week and about the hard work of unity and the vices to get rid of and the virtues to do, there's something that I missed. There, there's kind of the biggest, most important point that I missed. The only reason the Colossians would need to clothe themselves with virtues like mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love is because they have lots of opportunities to show mercy and forgiveness, and patience, and the rest with each other. That happens when you get in each other's business. That's the only time it happens. If you don't build deep relationships, you don't need mercy. You can sit over here, and you guys can sit over here, and you don't have to even know each other's names. You don't need mercy for each other. Let me put it this way. A lot of you guys know I... I like to spend time in coffee shops, all right? Let's hear my confession. And, uh, you know, there's a particular coffee shop just down the street that I really love, and I spend a lot of time there. And, you know, I have regularly scheduled meetings there every week. I have a couple times a week that they know that I'm there. This week I was sick, and so I had to bump one of those. And, and what happened? They were like Hey what are you it's Friday what are you doing here you know why weren't you here yesterday like they know and and there's other people who have similar schedules like there's other people who I basically see at set times every week just the way some of you see others of you right here every week and and they're, you know, they're at that table and I'm at this table and, and we recognize each other. We enjoy the same product. We contribute to the atmosphere by filling tables. We, we, we support the business. The baristas know our names. They know our regular drink orders. And guess what? I don't really need to be generous toward any of them. I don't. I, I, I do know some of their names, but like... They're there, they're enjoying their thing. I'm here, I'm enjoying my thing. We're both happy that the coffee shop exists. You know, maybe sometimes I need to get over it if they're sitting at my favorite table or if they're being too loud, but I can keep being in the same space with those people over and over again and never need to be generous to them. The letter to the Colossians wouldn't make sense if it was sent to the regulars at Lost or being fosters, you know, it wouldn't. Let me ask you a question. Are your relationships with the people in this room more like a coffee shop or the community at Colossa that needed this letter, where we need these virtues to endure? In Colossa, people from radically different backgrounds were sharing their life and their mission together. They came together to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly as they taught and exhorted one another and sang songs and hymns with all grace in their hearts together. You know another word for doing all these things with grace in your hearts? It's being generous. Being generous. At the very end of the letter, there's one final greeting and it sounds different than all the others. It's. I just chuckled at it when I was studying it. Like, hey, so-and-so says hi, and say hi to so-and-so. Please say hi to so-and-so. And yeah, it's all great. We love you. It's great, great, great. And tell Archippus to finish his work. <laughs> like, what? Archippus is, like, standing in the corner while they're reading the letter. Like, OK. Uh, poor guy. Um, we don't know who Archippus is or what work he had to do. You know, it's... Finish the ministry you received in the Lord. Maybe he's the local pastor, you know, and Paul's like, hey, have got a job to do. Um, but we do know that each of us have received a ministry in the Lord. If you are in Christ, your ministry is to freely give what you have freely received. Your ministry is to give of your relationships, your time, your possessions, and money for the well-being of one another to show the world what God is like we're a small church in Littleton but friends this small group of people has incredible economic and relational leverage we could move the world by the way we show generosity you are Archippus tell Archippus to finish the ministry that he received in the Lord Friends, as you discover what has been given to you in the Lord, as you grow in thankfulness, God will empower you to give of yourself more and more radically for the sake of his glory and his kingdom and people's good. And I can't wait to see what he does through you. I've seen so much of it already. It's been so beautiful for these last 20 years. And I can't wait to see what he does next. Because I think that's huge things. It all starts at this table. We don't we don't have any system except from, you know, kind of lining up. And there's some people who, you know, some people who jump up first, others who come slowly. But there's no one who is, you know, allowed to come first and supposed to come last. And there's nothing like that. We don't give out the big pieces to to you based on, you know, the size of your tithe. right, we all come to the one table together and experience the the grace of Jesus together. As As we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are tasting what he has done for us, that he laid down his life for us, and it is supposed to fuel us and empower us to lay down our lives for one another. That's the call. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've given to us. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for Bethany E. Free and the and the work that they've done to get us back into this room so quickly. And 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 thank you for the people that you've called into this place. And thank you for the kids that we hear coming in. And 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 uh, Lord, the the life that they add to this community. And thank you for the unique perspectives and and insights and gifts that you've filled this room with. And and Lord, thank you for your grace. We just as we come together at the end of this series on our values what we discover that every one of these things is because you have given your grace to us and we just respond we just say thank you and it looks like humility it looks like unity it looks like generosity so lord as we come to this table we come empty-handed we pay nothing for this bread and this wine and you fill us with all that we need to share your goodness with the world. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.